<clears throat> rolling. Latif just heard a bunch of bad rappers. And not like candy bar rappers. Like the music. Yeah. How'd that make you feel? Eh, hopeful. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> Welcome back. Where we're recording this episode. Yeah, we're doing the Q&A episode again. Because the mic did something weird last time. And it was all like, not cool, bro. It was crackly and gross. Yeah. So, now I'm even more mad. Alright, so for this episode, we put up some posts on Facebook and the social media things and asked what you guys want to hear about, so we're going to go through and answer those things. The first one is someone wants to know how to monetize the unmonetizable. Okay. This kind of feels redundant because we've already done it, but they don't know that, so yeah. we're going to answer pretty now, well. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't answer this happily the first time, so I'm going to be even less happy this time. Alright, what you got? You probably made something pretty dumb if it's unmonetizable. Yeah. Yeah. So, in in the traditional sense, you probably can't monetize it how other filmmakers normally would. So you can charge people to watch it in your house. And they will come watch it in your house, and then you've monetized it. Or you've made something very obscure that's hard to monetize normally because not a lot of people can watch it. What would you mean by that? Would you mean like experimental or just doesn't make sense? Experimental, graphic, um, foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes those films. <laughs> and because of that, it's not as easy to sell in a certain area or where you come from. Um, there are still ways to monetize things. You can put it up on Vimeo and pay, get people to pay to watch your mm -hmm. thing. Um, those are all forms of monetization. And again, simply getting someone to give you a nickel for watching it is also monetization. Mm -hmm. So if you have something that's hard to monetize, there are your options and you're welcome. Yeah. First I would say like, try and find out why it is mon unmonetizable. If it's just straight up garbage, maybe try and play into that. I remember the first time we recorded this question, I talked a lot about Tommy Wiseau's The Room. That movie is a gigantic pile of crap. And he kind of used it to his advantage and ended up making money off of it. So if it, if you fall into the realm of it's so bad it's good, that might actually help you in this circumstance. You know, you might not end up being the shining example of filmmaking that you thought you might be, <laughs> but you might make some money. I hate this question. Yeah, I don't like it either. Yeah. Uh, Alright, next. How to make money via self-distribution. Well, <laughs> next question. <laughs> That's the million dollar question no one has an answer to. Like, just keep trying. No, like, I, I don't know. Like, the question is how to make money through self-distribution. Yeah. You make it. Yeah, you gotta find some way to promote and market yourself extremely well. I know, there's no secret answer, man. Like, no. Make something good. Unfortunately, it's not like cooking. It's not like, you know, add some garlic and, oh, wow, you'd be amazed. Like, just keep trying. Like, most of the people that are confounded by this have made something pretty dumb. Mm -hmm. Or not good. Or unmonetizable. <laughs> <laughs> so make something good. And then try to get it in front of people. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I don't have a secret formula. It's the same question everyone's struggling with. 
And if it's a short film, then you'll have to get it to people who will pay you for it. Mm -hmm. And if it's a feature film, then you'll have to do the same thing. But it's even harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. good Festival luck. Festival fees are a lot higher. People generally don't want to sit through 90 minutes of crap. Or if it's a bad short film. Why I'd, is sit through, like, yeah. I'd sit through two minutes of crap. Why is everyone trying to sell their films? I'm so, like, confounded right now. It's just like... I think it's because it's the status quo. It's what is expected. Yeah, everyone gets into that brain where, like, I, just, I have to sell it. It's like, just shut up. Like, just be happy with making some films for a while. And mm -hmm. just try not to sell them. Just, like, completely change your mindset. Just, just get make really some, good at filmmaking. Yeah, instead. just make some films because you want to. And then that's, like, what what's, like, yearning inside of you. Like, you just want to tell good stories. Go do that first. And then if you're like, oh, man, I'm poor and broke, then try to sell them. <laughs> but if you're like that now, and you haven't even tried to just do it for the fun of it, then, like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, like, there is no secret to it. Just keep doing it. Keep trying to get it in front of people. And decide if you should budget your time towards trying to get that thing you just made in front of people's eyes, or if you should go off and make something new that will be better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what gigs do people do to support their filmmaking habits? We've talked about this a lot. Um, I, I mean, really commonly here, waiting tables and cooking and stuff like that. I I was a cook myself for when we first met. Um, I work at a warehouse that rents the giant staging for like the big features and stuff like that. It's good. I get to work 9 to 5 Monday to Friday. I have steady hours. I can take time off to make my own stuff, make it on evenings and weekends too. And, you know, it gives me a little glimpse into the film world where, and I have some connections through it where I can get some free equipment and stuff. Yeah, uh, I'd say try to find a job with flexibility that allows you to do other things and has a malleable schedule so you're not locked into something if you had to if you if you have to go do something film related you're not like stuck because of your job that you don't even like mm -hmm. um and i'd recommend trying to do stuff that's closely related to the industry that you're trying to get into if you want to work as a film editor you can edit commercials or whatever and stuff like that if you want to be a cinematographer you can work as a cam op for documentary stuff or you could shoot wedding videos whatever it might be that is at least tied to what you do it'll at least keep your show your skills sharp and allow you to work in familiar spaces so you're not completely out of touch with what you really want to do um that being said i think be realistic about how much money you need to survive um if you're able to do part-time work and still sustain your lifestyle and work on film you know you can do that and have more time on your hands mm -hmm. Damien Chazelle famously did that he's like I only worked enough so I could pay rent and eat food every other second I was writing yeah be realistic about where you spend your money too it'll allow you to have a little more freedom with the choices you make creatively maybe cool. you know if you're like I'm gonna go to Greece this summer it's like do you need to <laughs> <laughs> so yeah think about it yeah yeah for sure alright next is Short film monetization, like, is that even a thing? How do you access it? Access it. It is. It's extraordinarily rare, from what I can tell. That's all I got. <laughs> you can monetize short films. There's a lot of places you can do it. You can do it by yourself. You can sell it at film festivals. What you want to do is make a really good short film. 
bring it somewhere where they had lots of people buying short films. Um, and a lot of short films, sorry, festivals that specialize in short films will have um, people specifically looking for shorts there. And back in the day, they used to buy short films and put in like a anthology DVD and send it out to people. I don't think they do that anymore. And if they if they do, it's probably not very common. But um, with the internet, you can find a lot of places that do play strictly short films. And then they have stuff like Sundance Channel. And every now and then they might play shorts in front of uh, feature films and movie theaters and stuff like that. So there is a market out there for short films. It's not huge, but it, it exists. And the first step to getting there is making something good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, cheap ways. Talk about cheap ways to use practical effects in films, props, and how to make one extra in the background look like five. Well, I think that's probably the the best question we've had so far. Yeah, I really liked recording this one last time. And the first four questions were like, "How do I make money?" It's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm more annoyed this time than last time. I can um, tell. <laughs> uh, well. There are a lot of things you could do to kind of add some more value to your thing. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like I wouldn't recommend using one guy to play five. Yeah, you're going to be able to tell. Yeah, uh, you if you wanted one extra to look like five different people, you'd have to shoot it static and then do some splicing of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Put them in different costumes, different makeup with wigs and shit like that. Yeah, so that gets really complicated. But I would say if you had four extras you could make that look like eight or mm-hmm. ten or twelve yeah the okay. only reason I would ever see to make one extra look like five is if there was a twist at the end that they were all the same person or something like that I don't like strictly speaking from like a producing standpoint if you're looking at a budget putting one guy in different outfits and different makeup and putting wigs on to look like five different people is going to cost you a hell of a lot more than just getting five extras yeah um, my recommendation for making smaller groups of people look like bigger ones is to shoot on a tighter lens on the subject and have whatever's in the background a little out of focus so you can put three, four people back there and because it's such a tight frame and things aren't very clear back there it would look like a lot more and you could just run those people around for the um, coverage of the person on the other side of the scene. Um, and do the same thing um, for the most part I think it's easier to take a smaller group and make it look big than taking one person and making it look like a small group yeah so yeah. another example is the movie we just did we had um, a location that looked like two locations that we doubled into two locations and we had the same actress for all of it we shot the different locations the first one was daytime second one was nighttime and the where they are in the position in the movie one's at the front of the movie one's at the back so it can kind of sell that way you kind of forget the faces of those extras within the 70 minute gap before you see them again and then when you do see them again it's at night anyways and it's lit differently and the space is completely different so yeah you can do that too okay Actually, this one, I think, was my favorite. How to record sound sound, and how to record it with something other than a goddamn camera mic. So many indies fail with poor sound quality. This is the easiest one. Get a sound guy. Yeah. I mean, 
camera mics usually aren't great, especially if you're shooting on DSLRs. If you have a camera with XLR inputs, you can throw some mics in there, um, and then you'd be recording into the camera, but it would be of a higher quality. So, you know, make sure you have proper recording devices. It's like if you don't want to use a camera, then get a external recorder and stick it on uh, top of your camera, and then try to get a, a mic pointing at your actor's face. It's going to get you slightly better sound, but at the end you want a sound guy if you want to get proper sound. Yeah, and he does have it right where he says, many indies fail with poor sound quality. They do. Um, there's a famous quote out there that people will take kind of poor image quality as a stylistic choice when presented with it, but if it's bad sound, people are going to notice every goddamn time. Don't skimp on your sound. Get a sound guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, how to get funding from people when they know they won't be getting the money back, and how to ha how to, and how to have them thank you for the chance to fund the film. What? What? Okay, first off, they're not going to thank you for letting. Thank you for taking all my money and not giving it back. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So let's just answer the first bit of how to get funding from people when they know they're not going to get their money back. Uh, don't. Or be straight up. Like I said, this is what we're doing. It might not make its money back. If they're cool with it, then that's their choice. But don't con them. And we used to be involved with a movie way back in the day. And the producer wanted to go get a loan structure for it. It's like, do not do that either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just be honest. If you don't think you're going to get your money back, tell them that. If they yeah. don't do it, then you can't blame them. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think this all depends on where you're getting it and who you're talking about. If you're talking about a government grant or some organization that gives out funding for films, they probably don't expect it back because mm. that's kind of what the purpose of their foundation is for, to help independent filmmakers make their films. Um, but if in in the case that it's an angel invest, investor or, or someone that you know personally, you need to tell them that you're not sure you're going to get your money back if you're not sure. But if you know you're not going to get the money back, they won't give you the money. Why would they want to fund a film that's not going to make any money back? Yeah. It's a business transaction, and you're not offering anything in return for the money. So. And be very careful, too, when investors say, like, yeah, I'm going to give you, I don't know, 50 grand, let's say. Read it, because if it says it's a loan type structure in, in there, and you make it like this fantastic, and you don't make any money back, guess what? After that, they're gonna want their fifty, seventy thousand dollars back. Be careful with that. Um, one example that does come to mind, not of that, of being okay with not getting their money back, is Edgar Wright's first movie was funded by a guy who needed to ax like 40 grand or 50 grand off of his yearly income to hit a lower tax bracket. It was cheaper for him to do that than to pay extra taxes. So we gave Edgar Wright the 40, 50 grand and said, just go make your movie. I don't care if I don't get it back because it's costing me less money to donate this to you than if I just kept it and paid the taxes. So maybe by some miracle you end up in a position where you know someone like that and you can tell them your lower tax bracket will cost you less and paying taxes. Don't count on that one. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, next one is editing turnaround. Um, I'd say 
to look at that you you know if you have a short film for the most part I think you can probably get that done within a week or two mm. at worst like three months sorry three weeks it shouldn't take that long to get a short film film done in editing I mean the actual editing part of it um, of course if you have tons of visual effects and you've got like this whole crazy sound thing you gotta do then that's gonna add more time but you know for a simple short film it shouldn't take that long to do post for feature film it could take a month up to six months depending on what you're doing mm-hmm. um, depending on if you could work on it full time or part time yeah well. and you know to ensure that you meet deadlines that you have for the projects you work on I think you have to talk to people like far before you get into post and organize a team talk about schedules how long it takes to get something done how many people are needed and once you have all that stuff kind of dialed in you'll have a good estimate of when you'll finish something Um, and be realistic about your uh, dates Um, you can't expect someone to um, finish a film for you in like a week and then there's like no one working on it except them so uh, just think about that I guess yeah have the conversations in advance that's pretty much it um, why having a budget is important to a film's success I don't, Go the think, I don't think a budget is important to film success um, I guess it depends on what your idea of success is but there are lots of films out there with very large budgets and they are not good films and they have not been successful so a film film success is not um, based on what the uh, if it's received its full budget there are a lot of films out there with no budgets or very little budgets or budgets that were not met that are successful so having a film's budget is not uh, detrimental to the film being su- uh, successful yeah I mean if you had extra money to hire PR team marketing shit like that I'm sure it would it would not hurt you unless you were an idiot and you hired someone that really sucked mm. but yeah I feel like if you're asking yourself that kind of question you're almost making an excuse not to make a movie just go make it yeah, yeah. okay <clears throat> shooting and writing for a location uh, I think these you know this happens to people sometimes and it's always kind of exciting you've stumbled upon that on like a set or a room or just like a external location that gets you excited it's always a good thing um, it helps a lot when you have something already in your head and I think just a lot of times what people have trouble with is like the physical space of the of the uh, scene they want to shoot so when you have that available to you and you can look at it and spend time in it it's going to make um, creating the story and, and the atmosphere and everything for the film you want to make a lot easier um I, I've done this before, but sometimes I would actually go to the place I wanted to shoot at and sit down and write. It doesn't necessarily have to be writing the screenplay. It could be just like drawing down notes or ramblings in your head about it. But, you know, having the space around and available to you is always a good thing. So, Yeah, totally. So, like, as far as straight practical advice um, for sh- shooting in a location, go in there, ask your, bring your team with you, say... Is this going to be a problem for sound? Can we fit the crew in here? Can we fit the lights? Does it have power? 
new generators, all that kind of stuff. And if you've hired a crew that has even a little bit of experience, they'll be able to tell you that. Um, and then for writing, when you have that location in mind, it's just take a bunch of pictures and kind of go through the blocking in your head. Um, ask yourself what that space warrants you. Like, does it have huge floodlights in the top that you can use for some kind of dramatic effect? Does it have broken out windows? Is it run down? Like, what does it afford you by being what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next one is how to treat a crew with respect. Just do it. Yeah. Just be nice to people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're an asshole to your crew, then they won't work with you for very long. And they probably won't do a great job and be annoyed with you. Have you um, ever been on a set where people walked out? Yeah. What What's it like? What happens? Um, it's not fun for any anyone. And it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Usually if... If like there's a crew and a director or someone is disrespectful, disrespectful to other crew members, no one really wants to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will walk out and just kind of like be done with it. Um, obviously, if you have someone who's being abusive, that's a serious problem. Yeah. But if if someone's just an asshole, um, that's still gonna have a big effect on people's uh, morale and and how people. Uh, overall just um, how they work on set people are going to tend to not try their best when they feel like shit anyway so I wouldn't recommend being an ass to your crew because they're not going to perform as well if you're having a problem with it maybe keep that in mind like if I keep going down this road of being a douchebag they might quit I might not finish my movie or just you know say I I need two minutes I'm going to go in that room and just take a breather you know, or just say you gotta take a leak, go into the washroom and just chill out for a minute. Or just beat the toilet up. Yeah, yeah. Porcelain can take a punch. <laughs> you don't need hands. Yeah, just just do it. I mean, it will get stressful, but just be calm. Yeah. Alright, next one. Oh, it's basically the same question. How to be in a positive mood on set. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't like overly positive people I find them kind of annoying uh, so I wouldn't necessarily say that's something I would want to do myself anyways <laughs> like don't be an asshole to people but you're not always going to be in a good mood and the least you could do I guess going back to the last question is to be respectful to people but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to like them uh, it's easier when you do, but I don't think being positive is always necessary. <laughs> That's fair. And if it if you're asking this to yourself, and you've been on ten sets, and you're like, every time I'm on set, I hate it. Maybe you don't like working in film, you know, and that's okay too. Like I I talked about this a lot on the podcast. I used to be a musician. I tried everything I had at that for like four five years at the end of the day I was like you know I don't want to do this anymore it's okay to walk away from these things if you realize it's not for you Mm -hmm. like you just 
learned that it wasn't for you and that's good now you can use your time to go do something that will put you in a positive mood yeah and here's some practical advice if you are really dead set on being positive just laugh a couple times even if there's nothing funny mm-hmm. it'll make your brain think that you're happy um, like you've given it the best medicine yes happiness <laughs> you look pretty dumb and if I'm there I'll probably call you dumb but you might be a little more positive if that's what you want yeah yeah awesome and then last one is editors and how to navigate post that's pretty much the same thing as editing turnaround isn't it um well I guess the like what I could say is like with editors you want to pick someone who you trust like that will complete the job Mm -hmm. Um, someone who has a good understanding of how post works because I guess navigating post is going to be up to you and your editor and you're going to hope that your editor knows how to do that Um, do they have all the required pieces to do the thing are they organized do they know how to deliver a film do they know what the process is going through post production to the final stage can they deliver whatever they need to the other people working on the project um so you know assess the editor that you're about to hire and ask him those questions i think um because a lot of the times you'll see a cool reel and be like you're you're the guy and then you don't know if he's an idiot (laughs) and just has cool footage that he's worked with um but i i would ask those questions i think for the most part the actual act of editing is pretty easy once you know how to do it but you want to know that the guy you're relying on has a good head on his shoulders and is going to follow through yep and I guess on that note it's the same thing of like do that early don't be like it's December 1st we have to have it done by January 1st and we haven't talked to any editors about this yet yeah do all that before you shoot yeah yep alright sweet so that was the Q&A episode of Filmcraft for the second time. Yeah. With slightly agitated Latif. Definitely. <laughs> All right, yeah. Uh, thanks to everyone for the questions and comments on what to talk about. We'll I link you guys this episode. Hopefully we didn't annoy you or discourage you that much. There's a couple of people whose questions that I think we, I ragged on and they're going to mm-hmm. feel bad. Maybe. There was a couple other really good ones, too, and a couple, like, repeat suggestions that we'll do full episodes on. Um, Cameras, we're going to do a full episode on Mm -hmm. right after this one, and then we're going to do a whole one on how to build a crew, because a lot of people wanted that. So, yeah, the the questions we didn't get to, there's a chance we're doing a full episode on your question. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, until next time, this is Filmcraft. I'm Matt. Latif. Slightly agitated Latif. We should make a... (laughs) Just pictured like you know those Funko Pops. No. They're like little collect collectibles, and there's like Star Wars ones. Any one you can think. You mean of. the ones with the big heads? Yeah. Yeah. No, was... Have like regular Latif, and then slightly agitated Latif. <laughs> <laughs> just my eyes are slightly like squinting. That's it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This is brought to you by Pippa.io, P-I-P-P-A.io, podcast hosting service that is cheap and awesome. Why is everyone so obsessed with money? <laughs> Jesus. Just fuck. It's like idiocracy. I like money. Ugh. But like, you know, I think about it and it's like filmmakers are like the 
greasiest, like yuckiest artist of all the artists. They're disgusting. Like I, I never get that from like a painter or a sculptor or musician. Well, not music. musician. Yeah, music uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I never think of a painter being like, I'm gonna paint this thing that I feel and try to sell it. Where can I get a seller? I'm gonna distribute my painting. It's like <laughs> Jesus. Calm down, filmmakers. Fuck. <laughs> They're so annoying. Uh, and Grant. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>